When I was growing up, I had a lot of baseball and football cards. I had a lot of them. In fact, I used to go around uh, and collect uh, old Coke bottles, y'all remember? And you could take them down to, we had a little corner store, and I could take those to that corner store, and they'd give me five cents a bottle. And I'd get enough to take in there and get enough uh, money to turn around and buy packs of baseball cards or football cards. In fact, we had one little uh, store that the, the owner, the little proprietor of that store, he got a little exasperated with me because every day I'd been out scouring for bottles and I'd come in with more <laughs> bottles. And, uh, and so he told me one day, he said, you're going to have to slow down, son. Uh, but uh, I would buy these baseball cards and these football cards, and I had cards of people like Willie Mays and Hank Aaron, who passed away, the great legendary baseball player. I had baseball cards at uh, Willie Mays, Willie McCovey, uh, uh, Hank Aaron, uh, Johnny Unitas, uh, um, Joe Namath, uh, George Blanda, some of these, some of you recognize those names. And I'll tell you what uh, I, I uh, would do with those cards. I would take them and then I'd take a clothespin and I would clip them into the spokes of my bicycle tire. Anybody else ever do that with a card like that? What was I thinking? I had no idea how valuable those cards would become. And boy, do I wish I had all of those cards back. And, and boy, I, listen, I had some of the original Superman and Batman and Spider-Man comics that are, I've seen the pictures of the ones I've had and how much they're worth. I squandered them. The fact is, I didn't know what I had. I didn't know the value that would be attached to those things one day. It was the opportunity of a lifetime squandered by childish ignorance. Have you ever passed on an opportunity? Have you ever had an opportunity and you passed on that opportunity and you later look back on it and you regretted it. You ever done, anybody ever had that experience? You look back, probably most of us at some point, I should have, I, I didn't, I wouldn't pull the trigger, I didn't do this, I, and, and, you, and you regretted it. And now it's too late. The moment's passed, and you don't get a do-over on those things. Well, did you know that God has made you a steward of his kingdom? And it is the opportunity of a lifetime. And that's because it is only in this life that you can be a steward for God. It is the opportunity of a lifetime. It is the opportunity of your lifetime. And what you and I must not do is squander the resources of God out of spiritual, childish immaturity or ignorance. The kicker is that you're going to one day report back to God about how you handled this opportunity of a lifetime. And so that's why I want to remind you again of the things that I have reminded you of through the, the years, and that is that our lives count, and they count for eternity. And what we do with who we are, the gifts we have, the abilities that God has bestowed upon us, and the resources, the material things that God has entrusted to us, make all the difference in the world for now and eternity. It really is the one opportunity you have to be what God created you to be. With that in mind, would you stand with me this morning as we read our text in chapter 16 of the Gospel of Luke. The scripture says this, He also said the disciples, He is Jesus, 
There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him, and he said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. And so summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of all. And he said, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. And then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, I owe a hundred measures of wheat. And he said uh, to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in, the, in uh, dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Lord Jesus, we thank you for reminding us that we are stewards that you've given us this one life and one opportunity, Father, to get it right. Help us to take heed to your word. Help us to believe every bit of it. And then, Father, help us to apply and incorporate it into how we act as stewards for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, this text is sometimes referred to as the parable of the dishonest manager. And it is because in this story, the manager uses his skills in the wrong way. He misses the opportunity, really, of a lifetime. And consequently, he is held accountable for his misuse. Now, he does it to create a kind of a favorable friendship in this life, but that's just temporary. In other words, when he realizes that he's got to, he's got to give an account to his manager, he's going to lose his management uh, of the uh, resources of the master, he says, well, I'm going to quickly act. At least I'm going to make some friends uh, in this life. But it's short-termed. It's short-sighted. And uh, the problem is that he doesn't understand that this opportunity that he has been entrusted, these resources of his master that he has been given, are more about a long-term reward. And that's the point that Jesus is trying to make, that sometimes we can misuse even what we have in this world, but it's only good in this world, when in fact we should be thinking about how we use the resources that have been entrusted to us in this world to have an effect on the next world, the kingdom world, where it counts the most. Now, the story has many applications, but money is the means that Jesus uses in this story, and there's a reason for that. The reason is God is interested in your money. Now, I know you're interested in your money, but did you know that God is interested in it? I want you to understand God is interested in your money, not because he needs it, he doesn't need your money. He wants you. But 
what you have has been entrusted to you by him and he uses money to reveal what we think about him and as an expression of our trust in him. So he's interested in how you use your money. God is interested in how you save your money. God is interested in how you spend your money. God is interested in how you give your money. You're not responsible, by the way, for what you do not have. You are not responsible for what you do. People have said to me for years, well, I don't have much. All you're responsible for is what you have. You're not responsible for what somebody else has, so stop worrying about that. God's not going to hold you accountable. If you go back and look at the parables, the other parables where Jesus talked about stewardship, he gave the stewards differing amounts, and they weren't responsible for the other stewards' amount. They were just responsible for theirs. So, uh, so you're not responsible for what you do not have. Money is, however, a test. It is a test of our faithfulness. It's a test of our devotion. It's a test of our trust, and it is a test of our obedience. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about the right use of money. I, I believe, if I'm correct, the two most talked about subjects in all the Bible are, are the return of Christ and finances. The Bible never condemns ownership of money. Money is not evil, not evil at all, not in and of itself. Money is not evil. Money is neutral. God made the gold. God made the silver. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He has made it all. It is not money uh, that is the problem. It is, as Paul wrote, the love of money that misleads us, the inordinate love of money that gets people into trouble. And frankly, all of us need to be reminded of God's intentions in entrusting us with money. We need to understand uh, money in this life uh, is, is something we'll be accountable for in the next life. And so it's the opportunity of a lifetime. Look back at verse number 10 there. We'll refer to it a couple of times here. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in very much. And with that in mind, I want to show you three things about this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity this morning. Really, it is once in eternity, and maybe I should have named it that, the opportunity of eternity, because we don't get a chance to do over uh, what God has entrusted to us here and now. The first thing I want you to see is I want you to see the, uh, God's stewardship evaluation. Verses 1 and 2 point to that. What is this that I hear about you? He asks, oh, what, what do I hear about you? And then he, he says, I want you to give an account of what, how you have managed what I've entrusted to you. And obviously it was so poorly managed that God says to him, you can't be my manager anymore. And it's important to note that this man had forgotten something. He had forgotten who the owner was. He thought he was the owner of the master's possessions and he was using and squandering them as if they were his own. Now, you and I need to, to uh, be reminded of something. Everything we have, God owns. Everything we have, God owns. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That means he owns it all. You say, well, I don't like that or I don't think that's fair. It doesn't matter. He owns it all. And by the way, he has access to it anytime he wants it. Amen. He can get it if he wants it. But he doesn't do that because he wants you more than the money. He wants you, and he knows that money is, a, is, is portable self. It is you, it, it expressed. And so this man began to think that what he had of the masters that he'd been, was really his. We do that too, don't we? We forget that what I have is it, it belongs to God. 
And notice particularly in verse 8, look at verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Now, this verse gives uh, people uh, problems from time to time. It says the master commended the dishonest steward. This guy was robbing his master. And the question is, so is Jesus affirming the, the dishonesty and the deceit of this man? Not at all. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying we ought not to let the people of this world be wiser in how they use money than the people of God. That's what he's saying. They use their money to advance themselves in this life only, but we should be wise enough to be investing in the kingdom of God, in, in people for heaven. And by the way, notice in verse 9, Jesus calls money unrighteous. That means earthly resources and money are a part of this world's economy. This is an unrighteous world, and so that's what he means by that. Uh, and, but it's not a part of the kingdom economy. Its usefulness is now, but not for the kingdom to come. And when we get to heaven, we're not going to need to, to, uh, to have cash to, to do. We're not going to need a, a bank card or any of those things. It's good in this world only, in this unrighteous world. But what we can do is we can take that which is unrighteous in this world and we can use it for the kingdom purposes to come. You can use it here and now. You won't be able to use it there. Houses, cars, boats, bank. Uh, bank accounts, uh, those kinds of things, they're not going to heaven. Only the souls of men and women are going to heaven. So use what's been entrusted to you from God to make friends, and he says this, in heaven. Do you know what that means? That when you get to heaven, there will be people in heaven because of you. Because you invested in the work here and now that would have an impact then and there. And there'll be people, you know, we used to sing that song, thank you for giving, of, uh, giving to the Lord. You know, what a, that, that message was, uh, I'm a life that was changed. And the work that you do and how you steward the resources of God has the potential to impact your heavenly experience, not to get you saved, but to cause you to find friends in heaven. Won't that be a cool thing when you, when you get to heaven and listen, there are going to be people that, that are there you don't even know about, but because you were a faithful steward for God and they're going to say, thank you. Thank you because you gave, I'm here. My soul was saved. That's what Jesus is saying. So use it now. So what's entrusted to you from God will make friends in heaven. So let me give you a couple observations uh, under this first point. It's on your outline there. The first thing I would observe is the stewardship is reviewed. Turn in the account of your management. You notice that? Turn in the account. This is an important statement. Jesus is clearly saying that we will be accountable for how we have handled what he has entrusted to us. Make, make no bones about it. You're going to be accountable, all right? And in this passage, the context is accountable for money, monetary kinds of resources. Now, everyone in this room will one day be summoned before God to give an accounting to the master of how we handled the things that God has entrusted to us. And that ought to create a sobriety in our hearts and minds about uh, what God has, uh, has entrusted to us. 
And on that day, it may be good or bad, and it all depends on the kind of steward we've been right now. If we've been faithful, we'll enter into the joy of our master, Jesus said. And if we've been unfaithful, we will receive a just reckoning for our stewardship. But the fact is, all of us are going to give an account of what we did with what God gave us. And really, and as you know, I've preached it many times, that goes beyond just money, but the context of this passage is the material resources that have been entrusted to us. This is not a parable to threaten us. Please hear me say that. Jesus is not threatening us. Jesus is not threatening because he loves you. What Jesus is doing is reminding us that we are his stewards. He loves us so much that he wants us to get it. And so he gives us and he gave us his word with these stories to remind us so that we'll become serious and responsible stewards until the day that we're summoned to give an account of what we've done. When you stand accountable for God, you will not be able to make up for lost stewardship. Hear me say that. Um, you won't be able to catch up on that day. You know, we used to for years, but you've been so good. You, our church has grown in this so much over the number, past number of years. And I want to tell you something. We used to have to do something. Many of you remember every fall we'd do a catch-up Sunday. Y'all remember the catch-up Sunday? Uh, because we would have to catch up for our ministry budget and we'd have to catch up on our, our building uh, uh, funds. And we'd do that. And y'all, you always did great. You, you just always did. But we haven't had to do that in a long time. You know why? Because I think we've grown in this area of stewardship, of understanding this, of giving, and giving sacrificially over and above. I think we've, I think we've grown there so tremendously. I used to preach a whole month on stewardship. Now, listen, I may do it again sometime. Depends on what kind of steward you are. But we haven't done that in a couple of years, and we haven't done a catch-up. You, you know what we did with that catch-up offering? We turned it completely to a mission offering. Think about that. Instead of catching up, we said, let's, let's bring that kind of money in for missions. And that's why over the last, I don't know, gosh, probably the last five, six, seven years, we've in just that offering taken up and given exclusively to missions above and beyond what we already give. We've given over $100,000. This year, I think we brought in 100, a pandemic year, we still brought in over $116,000 for world missions. I mean, look, God favors that when we understand that, and he favors it in our personal life as well. So uh, there is this stewardship, though, that is revoked in this uh, passage we see. He said, you can no longer be my manager. The fact is, God can revoke your stewardship. How we handle it determines what God can do for us and in us and uh, through us and with us. This man was a thief. He was a thief because he was skimming a little here, a little there, and he's not being faithful with everything that he had been given. And the result was that the master stopped trusting him and stopped providing for him and revoked his usefulness. Now, you may, you may say, well, I'm, I'm not a thief. I, I, I'm not a robber. Why would God revoke his trust to me? Well, that's a good question. It is the same question that some of God's people were asking uh, many, many centuries ago in Malachi chapter 3. And here's how God answered them. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, here it is, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, God answers. 
and therefore you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. They said, How? we're not robbers, we're not thieves. So God said, really? He said, you're not obeying me. And as a result of that, he said to them, you're cursed with a curse. I don't even have time to talk about uh, uh, that passage. One pastor wrote this. He said, a church member told me he couldn't afford to tithe. He had figured and figured, but there was no possible way he could do it. I've got it down in black and white, pastor. Figures don't lie. Well, neither does the Bible. And if God tells us to do something, there's a way to do it. God never commands us to do anything without enabling us to do it. That is, if we're willing. This man's problem was not that he figured. There's nothing unspiritual about uh, uh, figures or spreadsheets, Matthew. But the problem was this man figured wrong. You see, he figured without faith. And in adding his figures, he forgot to include the good promises of God's Word. His conclusion was based solely on visible things. Now, there are many of God's people that God desires to use and to bless, but they're sitting on a spiritual shelf. And that's all because they have figured without faith. They have forgotten the command and the promises of God. Let me ask you a personal question this morning. Has God put you on a shelf of uselessness? If so, why don't you today tell him, God, I want to be a relevant servant, a useful servant, and ask him to restore you as his steward. Tell him that you'll obey his word and you'll manage his resources until he returns. All right? So that is stewardship reviewed and stewardship revoked. But then the second thing I want you to see this morning is I want you to see God's monetary revelation. Again, verse 10, as I referred to earlier, one who is faithful in very little uh, is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in little is dishonest with much. Listen, let me sum that verse up. Small things are big to God. Small things are big to God. And do you notice the measuring stick God God uses? He, He measures our faithfulness and our obedience and our uh, ability uh, to be entrusted with even more on how we handle the little things. Why is that? It is because big things are really the sum of a lot of little things. And this parable teaches us very clearly that our use of money, the way we use our material possessions, and uh, it reveals what spiritual blessings God can then uh, entrust to us. The way you handle material goods, you see, is an indicator. It's a measurement. It's a measuring stick of how you would handle greater treasures. Now, if we don't, if we don't rightfully handle that which is not our own, he says, why would God trust you with more spiritual, spiritual wealth? The earth is the Lord's, remember, the fullness thereof. Remember I said that means all of it is his. So it's not your house, it's not your car, it's not your clothes, it's not your bank account, it's his. We're managers. Now, if we don't manage that well, why would God give us true spiritual wealth? And that's his point. And by the way, the point is that God says if you manage money and material things well, then... Uh, The guarantee is more money and more material things. 
I, I want to tell you something. God usually uh, entrusts a person more and more that can handle that. But not always, but God always promises that he will provide when you obey him here. But did you notice he emphasized how will you be entrusted with true spiritual wealth? Do you understand what God says? This is a test for bigger things, things that go way beyond the monetary world. You understand that? That's what he's saying. How, why would he entrust you? And he, it's very specific with spiritual wealth. He's seeing how you handle physical wealth. There are two things among many that money reveals. Two things that I give you. One is money reveals your character. Look at verses 3 and 4 in the passage. He says, I have decided what I will do. Once he realized he had lost his, his, his position, had been revoked, he came up with a, a game plan. He said, I've decided what, what I'll do. And it was still, if you think about it, it was still an abuse of his master's uh, account. Because he called the creditors in. He said, listen, this is what I mean. He said, I'm in trouble. I, I just want to have friends. He didn't tell them that, but he said, what, what is your bill? Your bill's 100. Oh, he said, cut it in half. Your bill's 100, cut it to, to 80. Those people said, wow, man, what a great, this guy. Great. And then when he was thrown out, he said, well, at least I'll have some people that'll take care of me. That was his whole plan. But he was still abusing the stewardship of the master, wasn't he? Because the master didn't say cut it 50%, cut it, uh, by, uh, um, cut it 20%. Uh, the master didn't say that, did he? And he was still, this reveals his character. His decision is still another unethical act of stewardship designed to take care of him alone. And I want to tell you, nothing reveals our character like money. And notice that Jesus said it reveals either our trustworthiness or dishonesty. The Wall Street Journal a few years ago reported in an online survey that was conducted by a New York law firm, it, it reviewed 250 financial professionals and had a number of observations. I'm not going to give them all to you, but let me give you a couple of them. 29% believe that financial service professionals may need to engage in unethical or illegal activity in order to be successful. 24% said they would likely engage in Ill illegal insider training if they could make $10 million and, and get away with it. And here's what the survey concluded. Listen, those are just, that's just two things. But the survey concluded this, a and I quote, a particularly troubling and consistent finding throughout the survey is that Wall Street's future leaders the young professionals who will one day assume control of the trillions of dollars that the industry manages have lost their moral compass, accept corporate wrongdoing as a necessary evil, and fear reporting misconduct. You get it? Money's a revealer. It, it reveals who we are. It reveals our character. It reveals what we trust. It's a trust test. Do you trust God? more than you trust your money. If you do, you're going to find out something very, very disturbing in the future. If you trust your money more than you trust God, guess what you're going to find out? Solomon tells us in Proverbs. He says, riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. He's speaking of the day of judgment. And no one will be able to use money to buy influence or a place in heaven. You won't be able to reel off a handful of $100 bills at the final judgment and say, here you go, God. Now give me a primo place 
in the heavenly kingdom. Solomon says, on, there's a day coming when your money's going to fail you. Jesus said it in this parable, when your money fails. Don't trust your money. You're a steward of it. I believe there are people here uh, today in this place and people who are joining us by television and live stream, and God wants to bless you far beyond what he has entrusted to you, but you don't trust God with your money and material things. And so your material things have become your judge. And they reveal a character of distrust in God's word. Maybe not a malicious distrust. Maybe not, I just don't trust God. But if you're not acting as God's steward, your money is saying, I don't trust God. So God cannot commit to those greater spiritual riches because they don't trust him with what they already have. Money not only reveals a person's character, but let me tell you a second thing it reveals. Money reveals your capacity. It reveals your capacity. If you have, verse 11, been faithful, look at this. If you've then been, uh, uh, not been faithful in, with the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you the true riches of the kingdom? Dr. Adrian Rogers once said, there's no such thing as a man who is faithful in spiritual things, but not faithful in financial things. Money reveals your capacity, what God can do in you and with you. I told you at the beginning that money is a test. It tests your capacity. It reveals that. To be a steward of resources of God, what is your capacity? It starts with the little things, as verse 10 says. This parable, and, and by the way, the parables, the other parables that I mentioned, the parables of talents and those remind us that we're not responsible for what we don't have, but we're fully responsible to be a steward for all that we do have. The passage reminds us that God is watching the way we handle our material goods. And he says, now, I'm going to watch Ray. I, I'm going to watch Ray handle his material goods. And when I see how he handles his material goods, I'm going to know whether I can trust him with something better, uh, uh, bigger and better uh, than material goods. Can I trust him with things bigger and beyond material? I'm going to watch and see. I'm going to watch. God is watching us. The fact is you can't hide how you handle what God has entrusted to you. He sees and he knows. You say, well, what about... What about, and I've gotten this question a lot through the, the years, what about those people, you know, who deny God and who defy God, and yet they're wealthy beyond imagination? What about those people? Well, let me give you an answer. Let me, let me answer that two ways. Number one, what does that have to do with you? What does that have to do with you? Stop worrying about them. Let God handle that. Y'all believe God can handle that? <laughs> of course, you let God handle it. So you can just take, just take that burden off. All right? Say, God, God's, God will settle all his accounts. Secondly, I would say the same thing that Jesus said to the Pharisees. You have your reward. To those who are defiant of God and deny God, and yet they seem to be incredibly, unimaginably wealthy and, and say things like, we don't need God. I don't need God. Listen, they have their reward. When Jesus made that statement to the Pharisees, you know what he was saying? Let them enjoy all that they have right now because this is all, it gets worse from here. 
This is all they've got is what they've got in this life. The next life is going to tell a different story. So when you start thinking about that or you hear somebody say that, first of all, say, well, that's none of my business. I know what I am and I know what I'm responsible for. Number two, God's going to handle that. They have, that's the best it's going to get. Now, I want to tell you, say, well, that's mighty good. In this life, nobody will be saying that in the next life. You know what they'll be saying in the next life? I'd have given it all up. I'd have given every penny of it up to have eternal life. So Ron Dunn said, someone once asked him, he said, why do you use so many illustrations involving money? And he said, I replied that if people can learn to trust God in matters of finance, they can learn to trust God about anything in life. And then he said this, listen, he said, in the battle of faith, money is usually the last stronghold to fall. It's true. I heard about a man, he's about to get baptized and he's about to step into the water and he realized he had his wallet in his back pocket and he said, pastor, I need to take my wallet out. And the pastor said, no, we need to baptize that too. How you handle money reveals your capacity to be used by God and your capacity to be blessed by God. There's one final thing I want you to see this morning. The last thing is I want you to see God's clarifying declaration. Verse 13, notice he ends it with this statement. What a great, powerful statement. No servant can serve two masters. That's a statement of commitment. And it is a a, a commitment that is reflected by what? Stewardship. Stewardship of money. Stewardship of material things. Jesus is saying you can't serve two masters. And he's saying that your stewardship is an evidence of your commitment. Now listen, you, you may be able to work two jobs. You may be able to have two hobbies. You may be able to possess two cars. You may be able to have two favorite sports teams. Nah. Uh, You may be able to juggle two tasks at the same time. You may own two homes. You may have uh, two educational degrees. You may have two pets, and you may have two close friends. But let me tell you one thing I know. You cannot have two masters. Jesus will not cooperate or associate as a co-master of your life. Who or what is master of your life is the question you and I have to ask ourselves frequently. You will be the manager for whoever or whatever masters your life. So answer the question, what's the master of my life? Because that's that whatever you answer, that is going to be who you will serve as a steward to. If your confidence or trust is in money, it won't be in Jesus. Your master cannot be money and Jesus. Jesus is either Lord of all or he truly is not Lord at all. And as I mentioned earlier in verse 9, Jesus said your money is going to fail you eventually. Now, he's talking about when you die. Your money you know, it can't prevent death, and if, if, if you're committed to money, if you are trusting in money or, or material things, you're going to be stunned to find that they cannot help you in the end. I told you about the uh, millionaire in my church in, in Florida whose wife passed away, and she was a sweetheart, but this man lived for money. He lived for money. 
He couldn't believe we wouldn't have money in heaven. I'll never forget standing in the emergency room in one of those little rooms with the curtains and tubes uh, extending out of his wife from where they tried to save her. And he's weeping. And I was ready for him to say, I miss her. I miss her. I miss her. And he, this is what he said. I've never forgotten it. He said, Raymond, his voice would get very, real high. And he said, Raymond, with all my money, I couldn't stop this. You know what he was crying for? Not that he had lost his wife. He was crying that his money had failed him. Well, Jesus says, uh, at the point of death, our, all of us, our money will fail us. Proverbs eleven four says, riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. And in Proverbs eleven twenty eight, 28, the scripture says, whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Now, I, I want to say this because I want you to get this and, and understand this. Don't think that I'm against money or wealth or material things. I am not at all against money or wealth or material things. Not at all. In fact, I believe God wants you to earn and make money. I, I believe that. Psalm 35, 27 affirms that. And let them say continually, the Lord be magnified who delights in the prosperity of his servant. So I don't have any problem uh, with money or wealth or material things. God takes joy in your prosperity. But when you prosper, remember these words, the words of Deuteronomy 8. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. It comes from him. Now notice what God wants to do. He wants to entrust you with true riches. Now, most people just want more money. But God wants to trust you with far more than just money. Are you getting that? That this is not about just money. It's about you and God being able to do kingdom work in your life and entrust to you even more than money. What we need is more of God, amen? amen? More of what really matters, more of what endures forever and ever. That's true riches. Money's neutral, but money does talk. And you and I give it a voice by the way we manage it. Your money tells a story about what you believe about God. Your money tells a story about what you believe about God's word. So, what does your money say about you? What does your money say about God? What does your money say about the Word of God? It is a gauge, and God uses it to determine your commitment to Him and your trust of Him. You say, well, Brother Ray, are you really just trying to get us to give more money to the church? Well, actually, I'm trying to get you to obey God. I really am. This is not about giving more money to the church. You've really been good. But this is about obeying God. And if you're not, I want to urge you in the strongest terms to take serious what he says. Bring this tithe into the storehouse. 
and see if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing upon you. Come and test me in this, the Lord says. Look, I said it in my column, but I want you to know something. I'm not just a preacher preaching this. I'm a satisfied customer. I've been practicing this since I was a teenager. And I, I will tell you, there have been lean, 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 lean times in my life and my family life. There were times when I didn't know how we would cover what we needed to cover. But we tithed. And I can tell you all of these years later that we never missed a bill and I never missed a meal. You can look at me and tell I, I, I've been fed well. Never. Because God has promised to take care of those who are stewards of his. And he will you too. So you may be a little nervous. A couple of weeks coming out this tithe thing. You may be a little nervous about it. Try it. You'll like it. I've never talked to somebody that started tithing that said they regretted it. It's the opportunity of a lifetime. And it's an evidence of stewardship. A biblical evidence of stewardship. Thank you, so many of you, for being so faithful in it. You know, I, I wondered when this pandemic came. God... As it, as, it, as it continues on, will your people be faithful to help us continue to do the work? And you have been. Amazingly, thank you. But there's so many more. I really believe that God has so much more for us to do. In fact, there's something that God has put in my heart, and I'm not at liberty to share it with you right now, but I will in the days ahead something that God wants us to do. It's not build buildings. It's not buy property. So just relax. I think God wants us to get free of those debts. I really believe that. But something that I think is going to excite you, and at the right time, I'll share it with you, that I believe God wants us to do. There's a bright future in front of us, but we must all stay connected to the truth of God and his word. Would you pray with me? Father, Thank you for entrusting us. Just like you entrust us as individuals, Father, to be stewards, you also call a church to be a steward of the mission that you have given it. And Lord, may we always be faithful to follow the mission that you've entrusted to us and to be stewards of that mission. And Lord, I, I know that uh, the things that uh, your word says about these matters of our stewardship and giving and is uncomfortable at times to some people who've never practiced it or never understood your word, or maybe they've never met you, and so their thought is, well, you know, that's what I thought about church. They always talk about money. That just isn't true. But, Lord, I pray that you will help that person that doesn't know you to come to know you today. All the work that we do with the stewardship of the mission, God, and the gifts and all of those things ultimately all come down to one thing, and that is how do we get the love of Jesus and the love of God to those who don't know. And I pray for those who do not know Christ that are watching today, those who have just been nominally religious, but they've never given their life to Christ today, God. 
Would you move in their hearts? And if that's you, you're watching by live stream or you're in this live audience with heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking about, and you say, I need Christ. I know I need Christ. I've just been religious, but I want to be related to God. I want Jesus Christ in my life. Would you pray a prayer that goes something like this from your heart? Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. I know I'm a sinner, and I know I need you. I thank you that you put me on this planet with a purpose and that you sacrificed and paid the price for my sin. So right now, without hesitation, without reservation, I invite you to come in to forgive me, to cleanse me, and to be my Lord and Savior and Master. I'll obey you. I will follow you. I will trust you. And I will see you one day in heaven. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, I've already done that. I've already called on Christ long ago or recently to receive him as my Savior but I haven't been a good steward. And I want to be God's steward of all his trust to me, my skills, my ability, my mind, my, my soul, my body, my, my finances, all of that. I want, to, I want to be faithful in. And so would you just tell him, Lord, help me to be a faithful steward. Lord, help me, Father, to give. Help me to go. Help me Father, to let you do whatever you want to do in my life because all that I am and all that I have, I acknowledge belongs to you. Now, Lord, would you hear these prayers today offered? I know you will. You've promised you would. Thank you. And thank you for those who have prayed these prayers. Would you now bless them as they move forward in next steps? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you look here for just a moment, and those of you who are joining us by live stream and television, I just want to say to you, if today you called on Jesus Christ, you prayed that prayer to trust him as your Savior, would you let us know about that decision? You can text the word pastor, P-A-S-T-O-R, to 334-384-8080. If you'll just text that word pastor to that number, you'll see it on your screen if you're watching by live stream. We'll know what to do with it, and we'll know what that means. Uh, You can do that in this live audience as well. You also have the benefit of a tear-off panel, and you can indicate your decision on that tear-off panel if you're uh, sitting in the live audience, and you can drop that in the offering baskets as you uh, leave the building this morning. But maybe maybe you say, well, I know Christ, but I need a church home. One day I'm going to be making it back into a live congregation, and I need a place, and I've been looking for a place, and I want Ridgecrest to be that place. We would love to have you. We're not a perfect church, but we're a healthy church, and God has favored us. We've got a lot of good people, and you know what they, they enjoy? They enjoy new people. They always have. It's one of the things I love about our family is they enjoy it when new people become a part of this congregation. And many, many, many have in the last several months. I can't wait till we all feel comfortable enough to regather in this place. It's going to be fantastic, I believe. Maybe you say, I'd like to be one of those. Then you text the word JOIN, J-O-I-N, to us. JOIN. 334-384-8080. We'll know what it means. We'll know that you want to become a part of the family here called Ridgecrest. And we'll take care of all uh, that's necessary. Maybe you say, I need to be baptized. If you haven't, you do. Or if you got baptized before you got saved, you need to get your baptism on the right side of your salvation. And so maybe you need to be baptized. Just t- text that word, baptize. 
to the same number, 334-384-8080. Y'all know that number by now? I bet you do. But just let us know what your decision is. We'd love to help you with that.